0: Welcome back for our ninth edition of Orange Overtime. This is Adam Campos, joined alongside by Tyler Shift. And on this edition of Orange Overtime, we got our recaps of the Cornell and Brown games that we're going to hop right into previewing ACC play and the upcoming Virginia game. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at Orange Overtime and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. And also, don't forget to share it with everyone you know. Tyler, going into this... Too much needed wins, as we had said pre- in the previous episode. How do you feel after seeing this Q's team get two dubs against solid programs going into ACC play?
1: I feel great. I mean, to see Q's rebound from five to five and now seven to five, that just it ends 2021 in a great fashion and gives them a whole lot of confidence going into ACC play. You know, we're going to touch upon uh, playing Virginia in the first day of 2022 later. But to see wins against Brown and Cornell, like you said, two very established uh, programs in their own respective conferences, um, you know, it's great. And, and you know, starting off with Brown, I remember tuning in on my laptop um, and just watching like three or four minutes of play. And through those three or four minutes, it was just a great, great... There was great control in the 2-3 zone, um, great communication. Everyone was, you know cutting into the passing lanes. Um, The bigs were running from um, their bottom of the bottom three of that two, three zone up to the top, trying to contest any open threes and then running right back to where they were supposed to be. Um, And then on offense, it was all pretty much buddy Bayheim. I mean, he was getting his own from the mid range from the three, he was going in for layups. Um, There wasn't a bit of confidence that I felt was lacking from his game. Uh, You know, he had a, he struggled coming into these two games, but there was no way you could have ever thought that was the case in the way he played. And, you know, his shooters around him, his brother, they all complimented him so greatly. I mean, even though it was all Buddy Beheim in those three to four minutes that I talked about, Joe Girard had one or two threes in that mix. Um, Jimmy Beheim would have a strong rebound before uh, pushing the outlet, pushing the the level of play. Um, Yeah, and it was just overall great to see this Q's team finally rebound and, and play the way they were supposed to play. Yeah,
0: I mean, this was Especially coming off that COVID break, you almost think like with Buddy going off like how he did, like he kind of it's almost like he needed that time to, to kind of just reset, get his mind right. And for most of the guys, I think I think that in so, most of the time you'd think okay a break can hurt because not being in game action that was one of our concerns was that the fact that they were two two and a half weeks off off since their last game and we didn't know how they were gonna respond to not being in game action or anything like that. And they came out like they were on a five-game win streak or something like that and just kept it exactly. pushing. I mean, so to see mm. them with a big win, and especially against a solid Brown team, we thought, okay, Brown might actually put up some pretty good competition against Cuse, and next thing you know, Cuse did what they needed to do against a team like Brown. I mean, again, Buddy going off 28. It's great to see. The team overall just shot well. 13 for 21 from three. 62% from three. Nearly. I mean, that's, that's honestly nice to see just a complete game from the team. And, again, let me see how many scores they had. I mean, everybody was getting, getting their own in this game. That's all, That's always the nice thing about the Q's team. When they have played well, everybody's getting involved, and they're having that four or five guys scoring in double digits. And that's, that's one of those things. Like, th- this game, even though it's against Brown and the game against Cornell, I feel like just them doing what they did to those teams, it's showing the potential for this team. And we saw even the potential in previous games before. It's just the fact now, as we said, closing out games. So they, they took care of business, these next two. We'll see about uh, Virginia. And, I mean, just talk a little bit more also about the Cornell game. My guy, Cole Slider, finally, 21 points, season high. Buddy came in with 20, uh, 22 of his own. Just overall a great win for Q. So in that Cornell game, I mean, let me know. What did you see in that, that – that was different from what we had saw in previous games, not even counting the Brown game.
1: Yeah, so when it came to Cornell, I think, like you said, the player we should highlight the most is Cole Swider. Coming into this Q's program, you know, he was, I think, honestly, like, in my opinion, I know Buddy Bayheim was the preseason favorite. um, Not the favorite, but the preseason. He was on the preseason shortlist for Naismith Player of the Year. But I thought Cole Swider would kind of take over that MVP position. I think Buddy would be the face-accused basketball and end up being, you know, statistically the best player. But I think I was just a huge fan of Cole Swider's game. Um, And, like, it finally paid off. All those hours spent in the gym, I'm sure, trying to fix that jump shot that, you know, didn't really see a lot of success early on in the season, he finally exploded. And, you know, last game before ACC play, I expect big things coming from Mr. Swider. Um, I don't... I don't want to say we'll never see a bad game, but, you know, his, his constant hustle on both ends of the floor, um, his production on, you know, assisting his teammates, rebounding, um, really being a senior leader that he is, um, that all ended up paying off. And that, you know, 21 points on the stat sheet and a win. Big win.
0: And he, even then against Brown, too. Like, I know we're going back to that Brown game, but he had a good game against Brown as well. I think he tallied in 13 points, which has kind of been around, like, where his average has been so far and whenever he has had the double digit games in that 13 to 15 range um but i mean again he's another one of those guys that it almost seemed like the break was a much needed thing for them to recollect to group get their mind right make sure that they're going to be ready going into these next two games and it it, again it almost seems like this break was like a much needed thing for this q's team especially Mm. with and then having these two games the cornell game being rescheduled so then, instead of going straight into ACC play, they had two games to regroup, regroup. Let me talk right. Regroup and actually like get a few games under their belt, no matter win or lose. It's better that they won, obviously. And no, overall, I was I I myself too was really happy. They just in these two games, it looked like a completely different team than what we had saw in previous games. The game against Georgetown, game against Villanova, two. Hmm two completely different teams. Even though they played well in the first half, again, it's just overall having the overall game being as polished and everybody being as involved as they were. That's why it's like these two ga- these two games compared to the last two games before their break were just like night and day yeah. of them.
1: Yeah. And um, you know, you talk about seeing two different teams, but um here, I, I want to pose a quick question. So you so you uh you put down a statistic that I thought was um Extremely impressive uh, against Brown. They shot 13 for 21 from three and that's nearly 62 percent from the perimeter Um, and I guess so my question is is this a team that lives and dies by the three and if so they have so many great shooters But do you see that being particularly successful going forward? Because I think in March Madness, they were a live-and-die team. They, they were living and dying by the three and when Houston ended up, you know, kind of foiling that plan, things didn't really go as well as planned. You know, Buddy Baham was pushed far away from that three-point line, forced to hoist NBA threes, contested NBA threes for that matter. So, you know, I, I think to me, Syracuse has become a-, a-, a team that lives and dies by the three. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a positive? Is that a negative? Yeah.
0: Mm, I don't know necessarily if I would call them a live and die team from three because I mean really it's 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 an interesting point that you make because I Hmm. I feel like yes they do have good volume of threes but at the same time I don't think they're a team that has to rely on the three-point shot in order to have any type of chance in any of their games well I think they have the I think the best shooting trio in acc play with buddy joe and cole just the fact that cole's been cold this season but he was a 40 percent three-point shooter last year with villanova so he's he's got strap. like don't get me wrong i think when it comes down to it again i don't think they're a team that lives and dies by this three point by the three-point line they have put up let me see 272 threes i looked up the stats just while you since you were bringing up this question they're shooting 37 percent as a team so they are shooting it at at a decent clip for for a team overall but to say they're live and die i don't i don't really think their game has been really made by the three that much this year if i answered your question right i guess
1: no yeah i yeah adam i completely agree with that point um I think the key to Syracuse becoming, you know, not so much a team that lives and dies by the three is Jesse Edwards. I think that although, you know, the stat sheet might say Cole Swider gets the most rebounds and, um, you know, stuff of that nature, I think his presence is truly felt um, beyond the stat sheet. I think he's a presence that's there, you know, blocking shots you know, when he's doing his best, trying not to foul out. I think he gets a, you know, a healthy amount of blocks really helps the Syracuse team, um, by putting points in close, um, to the basket in the paint. That's why he's, you know, third in the country in field goal percentage. Um, yeah. So I think the, the big guy in the middle, Mr. Jesse Edwards would be the key to, to kind of deviating to kind of taking Syracuse and deviating them away from that, um, live and die by the three, um, you know appearance that they have
0: and you make a good point at the fact that like with jesse like he brings in he has that inside game i mean him being third in the country that's it's pretty damn impressive mm. with his field goal percentage but also too you gotta think you got jimmy Beheim as well even though he is a pretty decent three-point shooter i would say for the most part i don't know what his actual field goal percentage is from th- from beyond the arc but overall, I mean, he's he's got a good game. He can take it from outside in. He's got great. Oh, he's got beautiful footwork inside. Let me just. I will say that I, every time he's posting up inside, he's got something out of his bag, and his footwork. Yeah, I feel like I, so, feel like I feel mean, like um. See...
1: You might feel this in a in a weird way too, but I feel like every time Jesse. I mean, not sorry, not Jesse. Jimmy has the ball down low. I feel like we're going to be okay you know on the offensive side i think he's going to make the right decision nine times out of ten whether it's an open pass to his brother one of the other three shooters on the perimeter or whether it's like you know a quick spin into either a left hook or right foot uh, right hook he's just so ambidextrous in that sense that he could do it with both hands both ways yeah I'd, he's just a great decision maker just a great overall iq um really experienced player yeah
0: no, yeah, and that and that's a good point. Anytime he gets the ball in the post, you don't expect something bad to happen out of him. Most of the time, he is do he is doing something that is positive, positively mm. affecting the team. And whenever he has a ball inside, so again, when you got two guys like Jimmy, you got Jesse, and then you got guys coming off the bench that are like well, just all three of the guys coming off the bench usually Frank, Benny, mm. Samir, they're not mm. three point shooters. So again, it's really when you talk about a three point live and die. It's really only for those three guys that we had mentioned. And I mean, look at Gerard. You could say maybe him, because he has he's thirty six for seventy five. That's forty eight percent from three yeah. this year. That's pretty damn that is yeah. pretty damn impressive with at the volume that he's shooting and he's putting up forty eight percent. And
1: I think you, you raised the point that the live and die by the three, you know, scenario that we've created, that narrative that we created just now. Um, is untrue except for maybe that trio, that Cole Swider, Buddy Bayham and jo- Joe Girard trio. Um, I might even say that it doesn't even, you know, really relate to Cole Swider. I mean, he struggled so much with his shot, and even those.
0: But he's shooting. He he is shooting 34% from three. He's actually shooting a higher percentage than Buddy this year. Wow. And they've shot just around the same amount of threes. He, yeah. No, but uh, huh. okay. I like this. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep pulling up stats for this because this is gonna show it. So Swider is twenty four for seventy from three this year, and Buddy is twenty five for eighty one. So they yeah, made around the yeah. same amount of threes. It's just the fact that Swider's games have just been more quiet games when he's been on or if he's knocking mm. down shots. So if you really if you really think about it, I I don't you have to count Cole if you're gonna count Buddy because then because they're both shooting around the same the same amount of threes they've made the same amount of threes but Cole overall has a better percentage so if you cut out Cole you got to cut out Buddy and then you can't even say that really Syracuse is a mm. three point threat from what we know of those that yeah. trio they yeah. are three yep. point threats bottom line like yep. there's no question about it Stat sheet just isn't showing it to be that this year because of Buddy and Cole shooting at such low but But you know what?
1: I'm fully confident in them, like, you know, just completely shooting the lights out towards the end of the season. I expect them, I expect shooting to completely overtake, you know, I mean, I think think Syracuse's bottom line is they're a hard, gritty team when their three-point shot isn't falling. But when it is that play is so graceful that you know quick swing to the inside whether it's Jesse or Jimmy a real a quick pop out to your three mm-hmm. shooters on the perimeter um yeah, they just look so much better when the three is falling and that statement might obviously like it obviously makes sense when the shot's falling your team looks like they're playing better but for Syracuse you just see such a huge difference
0: especially because of like like how yeah. Gerard plays. Especially the kind of threes he's taking, pulling it back from freaking five feet behind the three point line, yeah. seven feet, whatever the hell he's doing. Those are momentum shifting they really are, shots. Yeah. So to see, so when they are like getting to the flow of their offense, you see those guys coming from the down screens, coming off the curl and knocking the three down. Again, when they're running their bottom line, when they are running their sets, they look yeah. like a basketball team. And we have seen when they have done that, and that's why I haven't, lo- I haven't lost all my faith in this team by any means. Don't get me wrong; I know I have been very freaking passionate in some yeah. of the previous episodes, which I had, which I had every right to be, which I think every Q fan yeah. has had the right to be. But there is just there's just too much potential, I think, with this team to actually give up on it right away. And I think this is a good segue into talk, just giving about the ACC preview. What was the big question that we just had? I don't actually know. I'm not going to toss that yet. We'll toss that at the end of it. But looking at how teams are kind of matching up against who they've played this year in, in the ACC conference, Syracuse is right there with these better teams. And, I mean, you got Miami. Look at, Let's look at the top five right now if we look at it. The current ACC standings, you got Miami at one. Louisville at 2, Duke at 3, UNC 4, and you got Mm. Syracuse at 5. The only reason Miami and Louisville are even above Duke right now is because they are 2-0 in conference play while Duke is 1-0. So obviously they they still need to play more games. But again, Miami is not a team that we – Miami has been (sighs) terrible in previous seasons, and they're 10-3. Louisville, they've got a solid record. Duke and UNC, you expect it from them. UNC is 9-3. Then you got Syracuse that drops in at 9 and 5, but that's a common record for a lot of teams this year. Wake Forest is an 11 and 2 team, not who you would expect. Boston College 6 and 5, Clemson 9 and 4, Notre Dame 7 and 5, Virginia 7 and 5, which I think is the hmm. biggest shocker out of any of these teams. There's only one team in the ACC this year that has below a 500 record and that's Pittsburgh. So, when you talk about it, Syracuse is actually, and this is one of Syracuse's toughest preseasons that they had in a lot of years. And they went 7-5. and five. While we can still see that as being kind of a negative, I think going into ACC play, it's hmm. it prepped them. And right there, we're just seeing it. A lot of the ACC teams are actually not having the same uh, track record as they usually do. And I think that's going to lead into Syracuse actually having what could be a pretty good run in the for ACC sure. this year. I'm going to toss it to you. I, I, want, I want to hear what you, you got to say about this because just talking about this ACC preview, you got some you got some guys, you got some teams listed. Let us know what we can see from the yeah, ACC. Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, why give up on the Syracuse team when they're 1-0 in conference play and, you know, things just look to be better than ever. I mean, um, so you have Virginia – that that was a
0: that was a really <laughs> good win.
1: Yeah, no, see, so that, that really like that win. win right there is like the definition of a hard fought, gritty win. Both teams didn't have threes falling, mm-hmm. and Syracuse just had to play harder. They just had to want it more, and so that's that's what paid off in the end.
0: Syracuse wanted the game more, and that's why they won. Um, and and I think like you talk about that, yeah. they wanted it more. I think when you get, it's like when you switch into the tournament and what gets the, like what makes this Q's team so special just overall in its years when they'll make a run out of nowhere i think when you get into acc play they're going to have this switch that kind of just flips on and then they're just start going they're playing and every game's just going to be a dogfight every night they're going to win some they're going to lose some but i don't i don't think we're going to see as disappointing of play as we saw in some of the games yeah. in preseason coach Back coach to you Coach
1: Jim Beheim chose a hard preseason for a reason. And that's because that this Syracuse team was supposed to be, you know, one of the better ones in the last three or four years. And I think that right now they're rediscovering their identity. Um and, you know, mm-hmm. sky's the limit. I mean, um and uh with those last two wins going they play Virginia Tech, sorry, not Virginia Tech, they play Virginia on New Year's Day. Um, that's going to be a huge game, and then the couple of the the the, uh, the games following that, they play Miami, they play Wake Forest, they play Pitt, and then it's back uh, against FSU in um, Tallahassee. So I, you know, kind of gloss over the competition over the following weeks. Um, the games that I mentioned, you know, those will be carrying out um, in the span of the next month or so, and uh, you know, we'll touch upon Virginia in more detail after this segment but i think with miami what you have is a very surprising team this is a team that like you said hasn't been that great in the past years um they were were like you know they're the team where you circle on your calendar not because it's going to be a great game it's because it's going to be a guaranteed win but i feel like miami now you know they've developed some sort of experience within their squad. Um, They have two main guys, Cam McGusty, who's the leading scorer for the Hurricanes, um, and Isaiah Wong, who's a sophomore, and in my opinion, has the biggest upside of anyone in this Hurricane team. Um, And so, you know, they have a very strong record. You talked about them already being the top five of the ACC uh, Conference. They won their Big Ten Challenge against Penn State. They have two really convincing wins in ACC Conference play already. and so, you know, Syracuse is obviously going to have to get through that first hurdle of the new year in 2022 against Virginia. But hey, they win or lose, they have to bounce back super quickly if, uh, to face a pretty tough Hurricane team. As for Wake Forest, you know, that's going to be their third game of 2022. That's going to be against Alondis Williams and the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Alondis Williams, you know, he's pretty much the only guy. We say that a lot in our past episodes, and then, you know, sometimes some other guy might drop double digits. Maybe
0: (laughs) they come out the cuts and they just start launching, and it's like, yeah, exactly. But, you know,
1: (laughs) I'm pretty confident in this take that Alondis Williams is pretty much that go to guy for Wake Forest. You shut him down, you shut the Demon Deacons down. Um, but you know it's, it's not going to be an easy task. He's, he's a six five wing, super long. He can do pretty much everything. He doesn't really like to shoot the ball necessarily. That's primarily from three-point. He shoots a little mid-range, but still, you're looking at a guy who's a slasher. He's going to really attack the paint. He's going to try and get Jesse Edwards those quick five fouls um, and just score a lot of buckets inside. Um, but you know, as I say that, I still think Syracuse is very capable of shutting him down. They're capable of punishing Wake Forest from the perimeter with um, their exceptional three-point shooting. Hopefully, that carries on into the new year. Um, and yeah, the last two games, you know, FSU is is one team that they faced before. I think they're they're really um, accustomed to the play of the Seminoles and their leader Caleb Mills. But right before that is a matchup against Pitt, and. Um, you know, Pitt, like you said, has the worst conference in general out of all the ACC teams thus far. You know, that could be chalked up to their relatively difficult preseason schedule, but I think ultimately Pitt is, you know, if you're facing Virginia, Miami, Wake Forest, and FSU all in the same month, Pitt is going to end up falling as, you know, that game where it's a must-win. It's it's a should-win um, game compared to all the, the rest of your competition that month, and so... You know, coming off of hopefully two wins against Miami and Wake, right after you know again hopefully a win against Virginia, Pitt's going to be kind of a, a kind of a calm down game, recharge, ready to fly to Tallahassee and face FSU.
0: Yeah, and then that so Kurt, I'm just mm. a little bit of a correction: that FSU game is is going to be back at the dome because they they played the ACC Challenge down at FSU.
1: Hmm. Oh, is that is that right? Sorry. Yeah.
0: So, the, yeah, so they have, like, let me see. They have three home games in a row. Yeah, they have three home games in a row with the FSU or with Pittsburgh, FSU, and then Clemson all at the Dome. And then they got Duke. We're not even going to get in to talk about Duke, UNC, Louisville. There's no point. We know what they got to do. Like, bottom line, those are hmm. going to be tough games. There's nothing we can really talk about. But to talk, but to give a look at this, these first, what? Five games, I want to say, with Virginia, Miami, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. Mm. So, four games. Before FSU, yeah. Syracuse could actually have a really good start to ACC play. I mean, because Virginia is no... You've been harping about Virginia just on our side conversations. Like, you think they are the most overrated team. They... Nothing. And that kind of segues in again into the Virginia conversation. This is not the same Virginia program that we have known for in no. past years. Yep. Bottom line, they're not; they are nowhere near up mm. to the standard that Virginia mm. basketball is. They're seven and five; they're five and three at home, which is rare exactly. for that team. So, and let's talk about it. You got, you got. I, I want to hear because again, you have been very <laughs> passionate about Virginia. So, to segue into our preview for Virginia. What do you see from this Virginia team? Who does Cuse have to look out for? And what are some of the notable things about this Virginia so,
1: team? So, Tony Bennett's Virginia Cavaliers, you know, as of late, they've been a very successful program. They want it all with Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, to NBA players now. Um, and a whole bunch of great role players as part of that squad. Um, but, you know, it's gone slowly downhill since that. I mean, this UVA team was actually ranked number twenty fifth to start off the year. Um, yet they still haven't found their stride. Um, you know, key players um, to watch out for is, of course, their point guard Kihei Clark, hailing from California. Um, he was on, he was a freshman on that uh, national title winning uh, squad. But I think, you know, they they say his his play style is one of Draymond Green's in the sense where his production is more off the stat sheet rather than. On the stat sheet, if that makes sense, so he might not put up that many numbers, but you know, his, his effectiveness, you know, cutting the passing lanes, really making the right passes, his IQ and experience, that really all plays a factor into Virginia's success overall. Um, and then you have a sophomore shooting guard Reese Beekman, who's kind of taken over the point guard role, pretty much sharing that 50-50 with Kihei. Um, but other than that, their their top their top. Um, Player is uh, in in um, in Jaden Gardner, who's a forward, uh, upperclassman forward. And other than those three players, you're looking at a pretty inexperienced, young, overrated, you know, just a team that's not capable of beating even on paper a team like Syracuse. And I think Syracuse will just punish them from start to finish. They need to play hard. They cannot underestimate this Cavaliers team. But I think ultimately, I mean, looking again at their scheduled right after virginia i'm gonna go as far to say that virginia isn't isn't even their for it isn't even their hardest competition in that month of january to start 2022 i think fsu will pose a, a bigger challenge i think possibly wake force and miami will pose a, a, a bigger challenge for syracuse um that is that's, <laughs> bold. that's bold. but
0: that's bold. hey you know what you know what's funny too bro because of how you were just talking mm. about the cba team I was waiting for you to bring out the overrated point of it. Because I'm looking at your notes right now. And I'm like, this man worded it completely different for the podcast than he did on the notes. And I just thought it was funny. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I had to, yeah, I had I mean, to say that. This UVA team,
1: <laughs> I mean, you start the season off ranked number 25. I've said that before. You lose to Navy. That's like a huge question mark already. By no means is Navy. By no means That's is fine. Navy a bad yeah. program. But if you're number 25th in the country, you've got to be beating Navy by 10, 20 points. There's got to be a statement when to start your season off and tell the AP poll that, hey, not only do we deserve this number 25 spot, we deserve better. So first of all, you lose that game. Second of all, you know, you're given a challenge against the Houston, Houston, sorry, Houston Cougars. They're like, you know, in my opinion, easily a top 20 team. I think right now they're ranked about 15th, 18th, you know, somewhere in that ballpark. That was a blowout win for the Cougars. Huge 20-point lead, uh, 20-point win led by um, Marcus Sasser. Um, So now not only are you losing to bad teams, you're also losing, you know, it's not even a competition against the better teams. You'll follow that loss up with a loss against James Madison University. Again, no disrespect to any programs out there. They're all D1 programs. But who? Who is James Madison University? Like, come on. If you're, UV, you know, yeah. you can't be losing against James Madison University. Oh, and then after that, who snaps their 11-game losing skid to beat this UVA team by 17? The Clemson Tigers. And, you know, that's when everything kind of crumbles. You know, I think UVA had a, you know, decently tough preseason. Maybe they were using that to gel together and produce some good stellar ACC play. But now you're 1-1 one one in ACC play, and you lose by 17 against Clemson? I don't know.
0: And they barely just squeezed out that win against Pittsburgh. Yeah, that, 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 was, that, was, that was one, one of win the...
1: You know, you're ACC watching the final play. minutes of that game, and it's one of those games where you're looking at the screen like, whoa, 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 Pittsburgh really choked this. Pittsburgh could have had, you know, a win. They could have had a win. They just fumbled the ball, I think... It was a it was a turnover and then an and one and that, that sounds yeah. familiar. <laughs> I mean, hey, let's hope Syracuse doesn't do that against uh, Virginia come New Year's Day. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. This UVA team is overrated. I said they were overrated from the start, and they've <laughs> only proved me right.
0: Yeah, and and I'll give that to you. I I mean, because when you for when you at first told me that, I looked at you crazy. I'm like, all right. Do I really do like? Do I really want to have this conversation with him? That's what I get for <laughs> yeah. my mind, and then not just sitting back and listening. He, 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 y'all, he has been saying about this Virginia team since before we started this podcast. Since before the season even started, everything like he he just has not been a fan of Virginia, and he's been right. He, everything that Tyler has said about Virginia has been correct so far. So now, now that Cuse has to play this overrated team to you, talk about, again, the fact that you can't, you said, they can't underestimate them. Never, Virginia. You never can. Because Virginia, while they are having a bad year, they are more than capable of pulling off any win that they can. And they're, again, just like I said about Villanova, Virginia is also a very disciplined team. And I think more so. I think Syracuse this year has a little bit more of a threat on the offensive side, but Virginia has one of the toughest defensive systems in the country. Virginia is a hard knocks defensive team. That's that's bottom line. Because if we if we take a look at Virginia in their games, the high they aren't high scoring games. I think when you look at it. Give me a sec. When you look at it, they have... all Anybody that has beat them, even when Clemson beat them, Clemson put mm. up 67. But besides that, for the most part, their games have been 50s, 40s. Um, they haven't had any like 80, 90-point games like choose mm. has or anything like that. So Virginia is more than capable of shutting yeah. a team down. Um, so... That's the one thing that I think Syracuse has just got to be – they got to be – just as Virginia is disciplined on offense or on defense, Syracuse has to be disciplined on the offensive side this game, and it's even more crucial with this game because it's Virginia. Run their sets, get the flow going, and a if Buddy's still on this flow, keep feeding him. I want to see Buddy start to get up more shots in these, these next games since he had two good games like that. I want to see Buddy really just kind of start to take over these games as he did with the NCAA tournament yeah. last year. Same thing goes with Cole. You had two good games with Cole. Let's see him keep that going. So I, I think even with, the, with this next game, especially with it starting ACC play, um, I don't think it's more so of a team necessity that we need it's more so of the individual players to keep what they had from those last two games, keep what they had. Those, those
1: star players have got to show up. And, you know, I think Virginia perfectly encapsulates that, you know, that belief that defense wins championships, but in order for defense to win championships, you know, you've got to produce somewhat on the offensive side. And I think Virginia just lacks that completely. Mm -hmm. Um, you know it's a great system. They have a great set of plays. I just don't think that there's a finisher on that team that can tie it all together. And um, I agree that,
0: yeah, they, yeah, they don't have anybody like that kind exactly. of guy. Exactly. That. Um, oh my God! What is the point? You said his name. And I'm Jerome. blanking on it. I can't believe I blanked <laughs> on that. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, him. I mean, no, they they they've had some hoopers, but they don't they don't have anybody that can just go out there. Give them exactly. a bucket real quick, not like I mean because look you look at Syracuse, you got Buddy. Buddy can get you a bucket. Duke, uh, Paolo Banquero, he can go get you a bucket. UNC, Louisville, all those guys, they all these teams, all these top teams in the ACC, they have guys that can go out there and get you a bucket. And I think that's one of the I think that's one of the things in college basketball, honestly, that differentiates the great teams to the good teams to the bad teams, and. I think right now, Virginia, they just don't... Like you said, that's a great point. They don't have that same offensive firepower to go alongside with that firepower Exactly.
1: Defense. I 100% agree. And, um yeah, that, that lack of a bucket go-getter. Like, when your play is completely, you know, blown open, you need a guy, you know, ultimately just to go one-on-one. Even in a game that is primarily about sets yeah. and plays and, you know drawn up out of bounds plans and all of that you know ultimately if a play gets busted there's has to be one guy or you know i think in Syracuse's case several uh not several three guys in maine uh sorry three guys mainly that can just go and get a bucket um at any time and uh you yeah. know adam so i guess the big question is that syracuse right now is you know ranked in the top five of acc play With a win against Virginia and, you know, a couple of very convincing wins through the month of January, are we looking at a top three ACC squad in Syracuse?
0: And you would think we're freaking crazy for even (laughs) bringing this up. And I guarantee you if people listen to this, which I hope people are, they're going to hear that part. They're going to be like, why are they even (laughs) contemplating that? But you, we, we sat here and looked at this before. We were like, there's a legitimate shot if they play well for them to have a top. I don't want to give them a okay. the top three yet. No, no, no. That's you, right. I'm sorry. You have, you, have, you have Duke. You have UNC. You have Louisville. Those, though, you, those are three blue bloods. I, I, yes, I consider Louisville blue blood. I don't care. They n- Ever since I was young, I knew Louisville mm. was a good basketball program. So, I consider them a blue blood. When you got three programs like that, it's tough to squeeze in the Syracuse team to finish over one of them. Especially since Duke and UNC are playing closer or almost back to the same standards that we have known Duke-UNC to have Mm. compared to last year. Last year, both those teams were disappointing. Bottom line, neither one of them made the Mm. tournament. It was tough. But now that they're back to that top 25... Level that we have always known, and then you toss Louisville in the mix to be one of the better teams in the ACC, which they have struggled in recent years. It's tough to really give Syracuse top three, top five, though. I am more than happy to entertain that idea because, again, we listed it. Syracuse has a similar record to a lot of these teams that are in the ACC, and I think Syracuse had probably one of, if not the toughest preseason schedule. Out of the ACC play, obviously not as Duke. Duke's been playing yeah. some dogs Same this year. We know that they had that convincing yeah. win against yeah. Gonzaga and everything. So obviously not like Duke, but when you look at the preseason schedule compared to the rest of the ACC, maybe even not even UNC and Louisville, but the rest of them, they've had a tough they've had a tough schedule. There's no doubt about it. So again, when it comes to that preparation, I think there is a real chance for Syracuse to. Slide into that top five. They need a, they need yeah. a convincing win though. They need they need those big wins against again an FF, they, If they can go two and zero against FSU, Huge. great sign. They could get this if they could get the win against Virginia, great sign, especially early in ACC play. And then I think what could tie it all in together is a win against one of the blue bloods in UNC, in Duke, in Louisville. I'd like to see them win the Duke game on February 28th when or 26th when we're going to be at the Dome. I would love that. But, again, I think, I think if they want to make that statement known, like, no, we're here to play, they need those big wins to really show that. And if they don't, I don't really even know if that idea of top three or even top five can even be entertained. Because... It it just can't be. Because when you get to the tournament, that's who you're going to be seeing. You're going to be seeing Duke. You're going to be seeing a North Carolina, a Louisville. Maybe not in the first few rounds, but when you talk about getting into round of 32 even or round of 16 or the Sweet 16, you're playing top dogs. There's no question about it. So if if Syracuse wants to re-identify themselves, get in top five or even top three, they're going to need some huge wins.
1: For sure. I completely agree with you. And you know what? You've convinced me that I shouldn't, you know, really jump the gun on this. Let's take that top three statement, move it slightly back to keeping their top five finish. Um, You know, hey, to show you that we're really realistic about this, Duke and UNC, you know, we have them finishing on top of Syracuse. Louisville too, possibly, but... Honestly, after that, I really see Syracuse taking that four or five spot. Again, that kind of, you know, depends on how well they do in the month of January against those games that we previewed for you earlier. But, you know, I just think, I just think Syracuse has that chemistry. They play hard when nothing else has fallen. But when things are going their way, they're pretty tough to beat, no matter how great you are defensively. Syracuse and their perimeter and their high caliber perimeter shooting is going to punish you. And, um, you know, I think even before March madness, we'll see, you know, the difficulty that Syracuse plays, um, in the ACC tournament. Um, hopefully they do, you know, pretty well there. Um, you know, finish the league in a, in a very strong fashion. Um, but yeah, I think with those two wins against Brown and Cornell, I'm personally very, very excited to see what the Syracuse team can do in ACC play. And clearly, you guys know what um, game Adam has circled on his calendar, February 28th. It's going to be a big one.
0: Yep. And, and it, that's the thing, too. You could sit here and listen to this and be like, why are they hyping up this Brown and Cornell win? They're wins. They're wins. Yep. That's bottom freaking line. Let me win. just put that out there. They're wins. They, they needed them. Just win, baby. Shout out to the Raiders, even though. <laughs> but just that slogan, just just win, baby. So, I mean, they're two decent wins. I'll take it. And again, having that momentum, going to ACC play. You see, buddy. You see, Cole. They're picking up their play. Now, if they win against Virginia, then I think that's just gonna. Um, I can't come up with the word. That's just gonna clarify. Not clarify. Oh, I am blanking. That is just going to let's just say clarify. That's going to clarify what we've been saying at the yeah. fact that we are excited for this team still going in ACC play because there. It's just I I can't give up on this team yet. Nope. Bottom line. I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up now now. But either way, go Cuse, get Virginia, get this dub, and get ACC play to a, a great start. Tyler, take it over.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself. Adam, love the school spirit. Um, But, you know, for now, that's all the time we have here on Orange Overtime. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at Orange Overtime and subscribe to Spotify and our Apple podcast. This is Tyler Schiff with Adam Campos. Go Orange. And we'll see y'all in the next episode. Peace. Peace.